Good evening. It's Thursday. The last Thursday of the earthly life of Jesus before his crucifixion. And on this day, Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. He predicts, uh, he institutes the Lord's Supper, predicts Peter's denial. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and there he is betrayed and arrested. He faces the Sanhedrin on this day, and on this day, Peter denies Jesus. There's so much in every, all of that that um, we will not be able to cover much of it in depth, but I want to read for you Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 75. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for, the, for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when he had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, 
with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Now then, could the, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled." Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Then a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I did not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. On this, the last Thursday of the earthly life of Jesus, it was time to make preparations for the Passover. And so Jesus told his disciples to go after they asked, Where do you want us to prepare for the Passover, and he gave them a place, go into the city to a certain man, and they actually, I uh, understand that the Greek actually says to so-and-so or to such-and-such, pros tendena, tondena, and, um, uh, and so it's very possible that, that they, or I think it's possible, that they took the name of the man out so his name wouldn't be mentioned, but go to his house, and he gave them the name, um, go to his house and prepare the, the Passover there and tell him, my time is at hand. The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So they went and they did that. And what's interesting about all of this is um, it says on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Well, in their way of thinking, their line of thinking, um, 
this first day was actually Thursday, as we know it, but in their line of thinking, the next day started at sundown, okay? So we, um, and that's when they had the Passover. So before sundown, they went during the daytime of that day to prepare the Passover, to get everything ready, and to, um, to make it, uh, to get everything together so that they could celebrate the Passover. And when we think about the Passover, there's a lot of things to think about. Um, and one of them is the, um, the fact that, that they would prepare that together, uh, the afternoon of that, to get everything ready, that they would clean the house completely of, of leaven. There would be no leaven left in the house. Um, and, and when they celebrated it, usually there would be, instead of a long table like we see in the uh, painting of Leonardo da Vinci, um, there would be what they call a triclinium, okay? And it was like a, a, a U-shaped table, and, um, and they would sit on the outside of that U-shaped table. The food would be in the middle of that table, and they would kind of lean outward with their feet sticking out behind them. Um, and so... They went to make, make everything ready, to get everything set up so that they could have the Passover together. And, um, and they did everything they just said. And when, they were to get, when evening had come, he sat down with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. See, they're here to celebrate this feast, this feast of the Jews that, that, um, that celebrated the redemption of the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. The... Um, and, and he breaks that whole, uh, that, that, that whole beauty and glory of that by saying to the disciples, one of you will betray me. And you wonder if, um, you know, what they're thinking. And they're asking, Lord, is it I? And so there's got to be a little bit of an idea that every one of them realizes there's some weakness in them, some weakness that could cause them to do this heinous act and betray their Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is it I. Every one of them asked that question. And he answers the question by saying this, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. It's possible also that every one of them had dipped their hand in the dish at the same time that he did. That every single one of them dipped their hand in the dish with him. And, and so that wouldn't be the answer they wanted. But then he says, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, Again, a fulfillment of prophecy, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then G Judas, who was the one that was going to betray him, asked the question, and in the, in, the, um, uh, in the King James, it asked it a little bit differently, or it says it a little bit differently, but Judas actually said it more like this, surely not I, Rabbi. He didn't say, is it I? He was asking the question in a way that was intended to get a negative answer. Surely not I, Rabbi. No, not you, Judas. But that's not the answer he got. The answer he got was, you have said it. You have said it. In other words, yes, it's you, Judas. And so, then they began to eat, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He's beginning to, um, to institute the Lord's Supper, beginning to have the Passover, and to, but he takes it a different direction than the Passover would normally take. He takes it, uh, and he takes the bread, and he breaks the bread, and he tells them to eat because 
it represents his body. Now, when you look at that, the whole thing there, this whole idea, this really would say something like, eat this, my body. Eat, drink this, my blood. Um, nobody would, um, <laughs> would ever have thought, nobody who was sitting there with him would ever have thought that when he said, this, my body, uh, that he was claiming that the bread would be the literal extension of his flesh here in our time or their time. And so the doctrines of transubstantiation and consubstantiation where the bread and wine become the actual body or in consubstantiation where Christ is present in, with, and under the elements, they make no sense in, his, in the historical context. They would not have even imagined that as a possibility. And so the words really in Aramaic say, this my body, the word is doesn't exist there or isn't in there. And so um, what he's doing is what he frequently did was he was presenting and creating a very vivid object lesson. And the bread symbolizes, stands for, represents his body and the crucifixion that he's going to go through. Take, eat, this my body. He then took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from the cup. And it's very possible that he passed this cup around to everybody, and he gave it to them. It doesn't say he offered it to them. He gave it to them. And so the point with this is that it wasn't really a, uh, anything they felt like they could turn down. Everyone that was still present took part in that cup. Drink from it, all of you, for this, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, when we look at all of this, what we see here with his Passover is um, something that happened in Exodus 12. And it's important to see the picture of all of this. And so, Exodus 12, the Lord spoke to Mary, Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the con congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. And then verse 12, For I will pass through the land on Egypt, of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so that's how Passover began. Because what would happen was they would take that lamb. They would choose the lamb on the 10th day of the month. They would watch that lamb and make sure that there were no blemishes for four days. Four days later, they would take that lamb and they would slit its throat, they would kill that lamb, they would bleed the blood into a basin, and they would take a branch with a bunch of leaves on it, they call it a hyssop branch, and, um, and they would take that branch and that basin of blood, and they would use that branch to paint the doorposts, either side of the doors, and then the header, the lintel above it. 
And what would happen when they did that was the blood would splatter, it would drip down, and it would drip down that doorpost, drip off of that lintel at the foot of those uh, doorposts and that cross beam above it. And when I see that, when I read of that, I see the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. And I see the blood dripping down his arms, dripping down his back, just uh, running down that upright beam, dripping down at the foot of the cross. I see the picture of the tabernacle that, that portrayed the blood of Jesus. And I see what they did was uh, they would sacrifice that animal and they'd take the hyssop and they'd, and they'd splatter it at the, face, uh, at, the, at the feet of the altar, at the base of the altar. And I see Jesus, the Passover lamb, hanging on that cross, his blood dripping down to the base of that altar. And I see in the Passover and in the sacrifices and the, and the blood being splattered on the altar, I see the picture of Jesus Christ on that cross. And so when he took all of these elements, these two elements, and he used them in a new way. He was showing them that he was the fulfillment of all of those things, that he was what they all pointed to. And it was going to be a new covenant in his blood. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives. And we know that the Mount of Olives was a place where there were olive trees, Olive trees where they would grow the olives. And it's very likely because later on they go to a Gethsemane. A Gethsemane is an olive press. Later on they go to a Gethsemane. And uh, it's very likely that they grew those olives there, that they pressed those olives there and um, made olive oil out of that. Pressed the olive oil out of those for many different purposes in, the, in, in their time. And on the way there, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. All of you will be made to stumble. And what's interesting here is they all say, No, we won't. Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the others are, uh, say the same thing. Every one of them, even after they all in the upper room at the Passover meal, at the Last Supper, after every one of them ask, is it I who will betray you? Now they're denying the idea that they could ever stumble because of him. And I wonder what the thought processes are there. They're going to stumble because he's going to be crucified. They're going to stumble because he's going to be arrested. And they're going to stumble because they think that they also were, would be in danger. And they all denied it. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, Peter said. And every one of the disciples said the same thing. So then he came with them to a place called Gethsemane, the olive press, the place where they pressed the olives and brought out the oil of the olives. And he said, sit here while I go over and pray there. And we, when we look at this, what we see is we see Jesus going a little bit further over and beginning to pray. And he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Watch with me. I'm going to go over here and pray. You stay here and pray. You stay here and pray. And then he goes out and he prays and he comes back and finds them sleeping. 
Oh, he says, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so what we look at here is um, when he celebrated the Lord's Supper with them, what we call the Lord's Supper, when he celebrated Passover with them, what he took when he gave them the cup was what they call was the third of four cups. And this one um, uh, was a, a common cup that was passed around. And it was given to them so that, uh, not offered, because giving was not really, or drinking was not really optional. Drink ye all of you. And each of the four cups were linked to a line from Exodus 6, 6. And this one tied in with God's promise, I will redeem you. So the cup that they shared while they were in the upper room, the cup that he said uh, to them, um, this is the new, the, the, my blood of the new covenant, was the cup of redemption. In other words, what he was saying to them by doing that and making that happen was, my blood is the blood that will redeem you, not the blood of the other Passover lambs. My blood is the blood that will redeem you. And so when they took this cup, they were, in, in a sense, agreeing that it was the blood of Christ that was going to redeem them. And so when we come to this part, he, he talks about, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What cup is he talking about? Well, some people believe there was another cup, and that cup was the cup of protection. And he apparently did not drink that cup with the disciples while he was in the upper room. Because that cup of protection would have protected him from the evil that was about to befall. That's what some, and, and so he didn't do that. And he said, let this cup pass from me. This cup of sacrifice, this cup of suffering, let this cup pass from me. And when you think about what he went through, he said, it says that, he says, my, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Why was his soul so exceedingly sorrowful? Because he knew what was going to happen when he was on that cross. He knew that the Father would turn his face away. He knew that what he had from eternity past was going to take a brief hiatus and the Father would turn his face away. He knew that even all of the physical pain that he would go through was nothing compared to the, phys to the pain that he would suffer by having the Father turn his face away. Let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came back again, and he saw him sleeping, and asked him, could you not watch with me and pray with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Temptation, the temptation to run off, the temptation to do something that you're not supposed to do, the temptation to deny Christ. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. And he went out again and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away. So now he's, he's saying it a little bit differently. If it cannot pass away, unless I drink it, your will be done. And then he comes back again, and they're sleeping again. Their eyes were heavy, and they were really tired. He left and went away and prayed again, saying the same words. Came back, and they were sleeping again. And he said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. Son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And he looked up probably, and there was Judas. Judas, and Matthew puts this in here. He doesn't just say, and behold, Judas came with a great multitude. He says, no, Judas, one of the 12, one of the 12, one of the ones that Jesus chose was one of those who betrayed him. Judas knew, and, and remember, Judas was looking for an opportunity. He was looking for the opportunity to betray him. Verse 16, so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. And here it was. He knew where Jesus was gonna go. He knew what was gonna happen or where he was gonna be. 
And maybe that's where they had been staying. It, it, the, the, some believe that some of the um, Passover, uh, um, those that had come for the Passover would set up tents and stay there on the Mount of Olives. And they believe that maybe that's what Jesus was doing too. So Judas came to betray and he had given a sign. Whoever I kissed, he's the one, grab him, seize him. And that's pretty crazy, you know, because that kind of thing, there's a certain um, closeness to that. I mean, you're not going to, in our society for sure, and even in their society, just let anybody give you a kiss on the cheek as a greeting. It's, it was common back then, uh, and in some countries now, that when they greet, men greet each other, they give them a kiss on both cheeks. I would not be very comfortable with that. And I especially wouldn't be very comfortable with that if it was the one who was going to betray me. But for Judas, what this probably did or may have done was he may have been trying to prevent the disciples from rising up. And so it was a very simple kind of sign, uh, even a peaceful and a gentle sign to say, here's the one, grab him and keep the disciples from, um, from fighting back. Greetings, Rabbi, he said. Notice again, it wasn't Lord, it was just Rabbi. And Jesus said, friend, why have you come? And again, that's not a translation that's really so good um, either. Why have you come? More than likely, it's a, it would have been said something like, um, uh, do what you came for. Do what you came for. And so it's not a question, it was a command. And that's why so quickly after it said that the... Um, that the uh, those there to arrest him actually grabbed him and arrested him. So, do what you came for. And so they lay hands on Jesus and took him. And one of them, and, and we know from uh, uh, another of the Gospels that it was Peter that reached out and cut off the, uh, the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Peter, of course, uh, Jesus, of course, told him, put it back in place. Um, put your sword in your, back in your sheath and stop it. And then, of course, the, the, uh, we're told that he healed the high priest, the servant's ear. And then he looks at, Jesus looks at them, and he says, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And I find this interesting because what we find out is that word um, robber there is, a, is better... Um, better translated re rebel, uh, one who is leading a rebel one, or, or rebellion. And so um, uh, it's the word lestes or lestal, and it's often translated robber, but uh, the, the best rendering or translation is one leading a rebellion. And so it's interesting that, that, that here they translate, translate that. If you come out against a robber, it should be, have you come out as one, as against one leading a rebellion with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. It's also interesting that the other, the thieves on the cross, see, thieves, that's what we call them. But it's the same word used there. And it's very likely that they also were some that were leading a rebellion. And he's the only one that was not. I'm not one leading a rebellion, he's saying. I'm not dangerous to you. I sat in the temple. I sat in the temple teaching, and you could have taken me then, but you did not. 
Then, of course, the disciples fled. And they laid hold of him, took him to, to Caiaphas, the high priest, and the scribes, and Peter followed him and went into the courtyard of the high priest to see what was going to happen. Now, the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false, false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Isn't that interesting? False testimony. That's what they sought. And, of course, that word would be the word of Matthew. They sought false testimony. Because any testimony against Jesus that they couldn't find true testimony that would put him to death, that they could use to put him to death. It had to be false testimony, and they found none. There's so many things that we can look at with all of these trials that, that were against even the Jewish laws. One of them was that they weren't supposed to put somebody on trial at night. One of them was, was they couldn't compel him to testify against himself. Another one was, if a decision to put somebody to death was unanimous, then you couldn't put them to death. And so they broke so many of their laws by doing this, and they found no, nobody, no testimony by which they could put him to death. But there were two false witnesses, and by the way, they had to have more than one. It's only by the mouth of two or three witnesses that a person could be, uh, could be found guilty of some kind of a, a breaking of a law or of a sin. And so they said that Jesus said he was able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And we all know, we all know that that's not what he was talking about when he said that he could destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. We know what he was talking about and it was talking about his body. His body was the temple of God. He was, is God. And they said, do you not say nothing? What is it? They test, these men are testifying against you. Why don't you defend yourself? And Jesus kept silent. And then it's, I think this is interesting. I put you under oath by the living God. Really? You put me under oath? Jesus could have said by the living God. I am the living God. But you put me under oath by the living God? And of course, because he put him under oath by the living God, Jesus answered him. The question was, tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And he said, it is as you said. Which is almost the exact same answer that he gave Judas when Judas said, surely not I. It is as you said. It is as you said. And so the high priest and everybody else, they, the high priest tore his robe and said he's blasphemed. And they spat in his face. They beat him. They struck him. And we are told in another gospel that they had blindfolded him to do that. Prophesy, tell us who hit you. And then we read the account of Peter outside in the courtyard. And it's so interesting that, that a servant girl comes up to him. A servant girl, a girl for one thing. Uh, and in those days they had no power. She's a servant. She has no power against him. Surely you were with Jesus of Galilee. And he says, no, I was not. Every one of his denials becomes stronger, by the way. And then another girl, another girl saw him. And he denied it. I did not know the man. And then a group of people came up and said, surely you also are one of them. Your speech betrays you. And that's when his denial became even the strongest. And what we see here is, if you will, a trial of Peter. Jesus was going through this trial, uh, and Peter was also going through another one. Jesus was in the court of the Sanhedrin, and they had power over life and death. Peter was being watched by mere humans, slaves, servant girls. And yet 
Jesus stood up to his detractors and Peter fell and denied Christ and the rooster crowed and he went out and went bitterly. Now what we see here is more of this idea of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb who was chosen on Sunday, who was chosen on the 10th, crucified on the 14th. And in between all that time, what they're doing is they are examining him to see if they can find any blemish or any spot. And in everything they did through all of that time, they could not find anything that was worthy of death. Anything that they could accuse him of that they could use to put him to death. And it's proven in verse 59 and 60, the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. So when Jesus died on the cross, he really was the sinless Lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Holy Week. I thank you for all of the events surrounding Palm Sunday and, and all of the things coming uh, throughout the week. I thank you for what we're looking ahead to. The fact that Jesus died, but he also rose from the grave. God, I thank you for the truth and the beauty of this story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.